Jefferson. You just happen to be the person walking in the door, so <laughs> it's all good. Jefferson knows. I'm just teasing. Um, if you'll open with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, and as you turn there, I'll just remind you of what we did last week. So last week, um, in our study of the pastoral epistles, um, we started uh, 2 Timothy, and we noted how one of the distinguishing aspects of this book um, compared to 1 Timothy and Titus is how Paul's earthly circumstances have changed. Changed. In both 1 Timothy and Titus, um, you know, Paul's got travel plans, um, he's um, uh, out doing ministry, whereas in 2 Timothy, he's physically confined in chains in Rome with no realistic expectation that he is going to escape this imprisonment. Um, so we saw last week he's been mostly abandoned, uh, he has his earthly end in sight, and although he encourages Timothy to come and visit him in Rome, his journey uh, seems to have come to an end, as he states in chapter 4, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. So while Paul begins 2 Timothy very similarly to his, his first letter to Timothy, you know, addressing him as his beloved child, uh, in this book, his encouragements to Timothy have the ring of finality about them. Um, and again, as we said last week, this is probably the last uh, of the New Testament epistles that Paul wrote. So this is, in many words, his final word. And as we saw last week, Paul writes Timothy uh, in that first chapter primarily to encourage him, reminding him of the power of faith demonstrated in his mother and grandmother and that he himself uh, has received. In contrast to timidity and trepidation, Paul reminds uh, Timothy that God gave us a sp spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Paul commands Timothy, do not be ashamed, describing how Paul himself was not ashamed, although he was in chains, and how Onesiphorus was not ashamed to diligently seek out Paul while Paul was a prisoner in a foreign city. These men were prepared to suffer for the cause of Christ because they trusted in the good news of God's eternal plan of salvation manifested in the glorious appearing of Christ Jesus. As God has guarded the deposit of Paul's life and will guard Timothy's as well, so also Timothy must guard the deposit of the faithful account of the gospel that God has entrusted to him. So today, as we turn to chapter 2, we'll see that continued theme of encouragement. Um, this chapter especially in, uh, asserting the need to endure in the faith. Um, and Paul is going to give Timothy uh, um, illustrations of what faithful endurance looks like, as well as models. Um, first pointing to Paul's own endurance of suffering for the sake of the gospel, but ultimately pointing us to Christ's faithfulness on our behalf. We know that Christ cannot abandon us because his death gives us life, and to deny us would be to deny his very self. And that's some good news uh, that we'll see in chapter 2. So let me uh, read the chapter for us, and then we'll pray. Hear now the word of God from Paul's second letter to Timothy, starting uh, in verse 1 of chapter 2. 
You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, And charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask him to increase it in our hearts um, and to teach us not only in our minds, but to uh, uh, teach our wills to to love and obey his word. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do come this day to give you uh, all glory and praise. For we know that we stand in your presence, uh, not because of our worthiness, but because of the worthiness of the Lamb, who was sacrificed and slain for our behalf the lamb, uh, spotless lamb, who was without sin and perfectly righteousness, righteous, 
who gave us um, his life that we might be covered with his righteousness and that we might uh, be cleansed of our sin, that his blood would wash us white as snow. We thank you for the glorious truth of this gospel, of knowing what Christ endured for our behalf, and that we too, um, in following him and remaining faithful to this gospel, that we too are called to suffer for the gospel's sake, and we do so knowing uh, the eternal reward that has been secured for us by Christ's perfect sacrifice on our behalf, and knowing that our, our futures are secure, that though they may kill the body, they cannot kill the message of this gospel, and that we uh, live and have life in our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. As we study uh, Paul's words to Timothy, uh, instruct us, may these not be the words of one pastor to another pastor, but words of encouragement to us. Um, give us your spirit that we might apply them to our lives to see uh, where we uh, fall short, uh, but also to see how we can faithfully serve and to glorify you in both our words and the works of our hands. Uh, instruct us now by your spirit and lead us to our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 um, uh, have these two commands. Uh, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and then uh, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust. So in these two words, to, to strengthen and to entrust, um, were both kind of themes we saw last week, you know, with this encouragement of don't be ashamed. Um, uh, you've been entrusted with this gospel message. Be faithful with it. Um, but as we look at um, and kind of transition from chapter 1 to chapter 2, um, what is, exactly is Paul commanding Timothy to do with these two imperatives, to be strengthened and to um, entrust to faithful men? So what does Paul want Timothy to do when he's telling him to be strengthened and to entrust? Yeah, so notice the, the emphasis on um, this passing on to others. Um, and to keep this, uh, what you've heard from me and the presence of many witnesses. So, you know, emphasizing that uh, Timothy has learned from Paul. You know, you've heard many things from me about this gospel. And you yourself are, are to entrust that message uh, to faithful men who they will be able to teach others. So, yeah, it's this um, emphasizing the, the mechanism by which this gospel message will be preserved and passed on. Um, and as we'll, we see, especially in the second half of the chapter, where um, it, it turns to thinking about you know, false teachers and senseless babble and um, this kind of um, irresponsible abundance of words, you know, to, to focus on what has been passed on to you by me, and, and you're to pass that on to others. In, in the presence of many witnesses, again, Paul's emphasizing 
that this isn't some kind of secret Gnostic message that you know one person has to whisper to another person, um, and it's only this kind of insider group that has the real gospel. No, it's the gospel message that is publicly proclaimed, um, this message about who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us and what we're called to do. Good, what else? So part of the command is to pass on what you yourself have received. Yeah, the, the emphasis, you're right, the, the emphasis on the word faithful there. And, you know, faithful, um, uh, uh, it goes both ways in Greek as it does in English. Like, it can be faithful in the sense that, like, you know, uh, Lassie is a faithful dog. Go get Timmy from the well. <laughs> you know, the, the dog uh, uh, is, is loyal and trustworthy. So it can be faithful in that sense. It can also be believing. So, you know, uh, some people kind of wrestle over what is the, what's the proper instruction here. But I think both connotations of the word. So pass it on to believing men who themselves will, you know, can be trusted to proclaim this message. Because as we, um, you know, again, as one of the, the problems that Paul has been working against um, in these pastoral epistles is the presence of, uh, like in Titus, he says, um, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. You know, so there are all these people out there who are seeking to use the gospel for their own personal advancement or selfish gain. And so, no, just as we saw those qualifications that he gave in, in, in 1 Timothy and another set of qualifications in Titus, you know, here he's not going into the depth of the, the qualifications. He's already spelled that out in other letters, but he's kind of summarizing them with the faithful men. You know, he, he's kind of hearkening back to those set of instructions that he gave for what an overseer, what an elder in Christ's church is supposed to look like. Yeah, and that transition back to the last part of, of chapter 1. I mean, that's the picture we're given. Uh, you know, uh, good grief, I need bifocals. Um, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. You know, that, and, and there he, he's, he's not saying that everybody in Asia departed from the faith. I think it's that second. Like, it's, they were ashamed to associate with, with Paul. Um, and as Paul says here, you know, um, for, I, for which I'm suffering bound with chains as a criminal. You know, that, that you know, he, he's not just, he hasn't just been arrested. He's being treated like a, a common criminal. He's chained. And you could, you could see how a, a natural reaction would be to, like, 
step, uh, step one step away from that. Um, <laughs> the, the, all right, so this has nothing to do with anything, but it's funny. Um, uh, so the, but when I think of stepping away, so I showed in class this week um, uh, my students this film called Four Little Girls by Spike Lee, and it's about the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham during the Civil Rights Movement. Um, and the then governor of, of Alabama was George Wallace, who gave this famous, like, you know, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation always speech that kind of fired people up to commit these violent acts. And, and Spike Lee interviews George Wallace, um, the living George Wallace, 40 years later after these events. And, and George Wallace is, is clearly trying to demonstrate he's a changed man, and he keeps trying to bring this um, care worker who goes everywhere with him and sort of attends to his need, this black man. And he keeps trying to bring him into the shot to sort of, see, I, don't, I like black people. And, and the, the guy kind of comes into the frame, and then the whole time he's doing this. And my students just sort of like... That guy was hysterical because like, he does not want to be associated with George Wallace at this moment. And he's like, you know, even though George Wallace is like, come on in here, Ted. And he's like, <laughs> and like in a similar way, it's like, you know, as Paul's being dragged off into chain, people are like, you know, turning their back onto him. And, you know, he singles out um, uh, Anisphorus, you know, you know, he often refreshed me. And was not ashamed of my chain. So, you know, you have that, I think exactly as Jay's saying, there are kind of two levels. We can be ashamed of the gospel itself, that, you know, um, ah, this crucified Savior, I don't know, the message, people are going to think that's foolishness, you know, sort of think of that, you know, to, to Greeks, this is going to be foolishness. To Jews, it's going to be a stumbling block, and people aren't going to like me because of the message. But then people are not going to, you know, the, the kind of public associations. And both these things are problems I think we wrestle with. I mean, we too can express shame for the gospel, and, but we also can express shame of, you know, like when some Christian, um, you know, does something or suffers that we can kind of like, well, you know, just kind of step away like, oh. You know, glad I'm not them, glad I'm not there, and, and, and um, demonstrate our shame for how other people are treated for the gospel's sake. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, I think you're absolutely right, and that's one of the themes of the letter, that, you know, um, we should expect this to happen more. Like, what's happening to me, uh, you shouldn't be surprised by it, because, you know, this is what's going to happen. Uh, you know, you start chapter 3, but understand this, that in the last day, there will come times of difficulty. Like, so... Yeah, I think absolutely. He's preparing Timothy and calling Timothy to be sh sh strong. Like, don't be ashamed to suffer for the gospel's sake. 
um, don't be ashamed that I'm in prison. Because just because my body is in chains, Paul's saying, it's like, that doesn't imprison the gospel. Like, if you believe that the gospel is true, you're, you can suffer for it and know that your suffering is not going to diminish the quality of the gospel or how it's spread. Um, again, I, I think with that second sense of shame that Jay was pointing out, you know, the shame of Paul being in chains, it's sort of like, well, you know, I, I want to, um, that, that's the message, but I don't want to put myself in that situation. Again, sort of, uh, it's, what's on my mind all week always comes up in this hour. I'm sorry. But, um, so again, like civil rights era, you've got you know, like people who were for civil rights, but they didn't want to you know, put their neck out or do anything. Like they didn't want people being dragged off uh, to jail for you know, protesting, uh, you know, a store's segregated hiring policies, they're like, well, I don't want the store, I think what the store's doing wrong, but I don't want to go to jail. Um, you know, that kind of sh shame of being dragged off. Um, uh, you know, uh, I showed him an interview of this one, he was a teenager, and he's like, you know, um, they didn't just take us to jail, like they put us in jail, jail, I was put in there, like, he was 12 years old, and he's like, I'm put in there with these hardened guys, and he's like, I was not hard. <laughs> um, and, you know, and he was so worried uh, coming out, like, how his parents would receive him, because, you know, like, he's coming out of jail, um, and he's ashamed that he was in jail, and so, you know, like, he's coming out with his head dragged down, and his parents, like, embraced him and said how proud they were of him, and it's sort of like, wait, you know, when you think the message and the gospel message is, is infinitely more valuable than a message of civil rights, like this gospel, if you believe that message is so valuable, then don't be ashamed to suffer for it. And, you know, prepare yourself. Um, and I think you're absolutely right, Frank. He's, throughout this letter, he's trying to prepare Timothy for what he sees is, um, you know, a very near eventuality, which is Christians increasingly suffering for their faith. Go. Yeah. Just because they're locking my body in here doesn't lock the gospel down. And in fact, you know, as we see in other places, Paul talks about the, how the gospel sometimes gets facilitated by his imprisonment. Like people hear that he's been confined, people he's in jail. Like he gets an opportunity to minister to his jailers and fellow convicts. It's, um, you know, and as long as people are, you know, like he says in, in verse 2, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Like, the gospel isn't centered on one person's, you know, the gospel isn't about Paul. It's about the message Paul teaches. And they can imprison Paul, they can kill Paul, but that's not going to kill the message. Yeah, I mean, in our culture, there are lots of ways that, uh, you know, 
Um, our culture thinks in many ways it's a shameful thing to be a, a Christian. And so, you know, they uh, look on different beliefs that we have and despise them. And are we going to believe in, in this gospel and be willing to endure the scorn of others? Or, you know, do we believe that this message is true and whatever scorn they pour on us is, is you know, is worth enduring for the sake of what's what's true. Um, uh, I, I listened to um, C.S. Lewis's Grief Observed this week, and he had this line, I meant to go back and, and look it up in the book, um, but it was this great line about how, you know, when we think of heaven, we often kind of like do analogies from our life to what heaven's going to be like. And he's like, that's, that's like, you know, that heaven is the reality, <laughs> and this isn't. Like, so we can't, we don't know what it's going to be like because we, we don't, you know, we've only tasted of that reality. We, we haven't had the full-blown experience of what is truly real. Um, you know, the, the same idea, um, you know, he, he uses in another book where, like, you know, people are visited, you know, the bus goes to heaven and like they step on the grass and it hurts because they're not used to something that's so real um, and it's it's that you know if do we believe that this message is real um, and if we believe it, it's real and it's true then it's worth enduring the temporary sufferings and this transitory uh, existence that we experience now Ryan you had your hand Yeah, and it's a great reminder that that the, our our existence as a church right now is not normal, like in in world history. <laughs> like it's normal for the church has been to experience suffering of some sort. Um, you know, the the kind of privileged, pampered existence we often live as Christians has been a temporary blessing. Um, but as Dave, you know. Uh, said, you know, culture can change, and culture is changing, and, you know, we uh, shouldn't be surprised to find ourselves in the same, same situation that the vast majority of Christians in the world now and throughout the ages have found themselves. Bill, do you want to say Do you remember? 
Yeah, and uh, actually that helps me move into, I want us to, so, you know, as he has these kind of overall big imperatives of, you know, be strong, do not be ashamed, um, uh, to be, um, to endure, he gives us these three um, uh, illustrations um, or analogies, um, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And I, I love verse 7. Think over what I say. Because <laughs> he doesn't give a lot of explanation of the illustrations. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so what's the, the message um, that he's supposed to um, endure? And so Bill just gave us a great picture of what it means to, to be a soldier. Um, you know, a soldier is to, to not be distracted by civilian pursuits, but to dedicate yourself to, um, you know, the command uh, that you've been given. And, you know, so you serve faithfully and, and don't, you know, turn aside from a task, you know. Yeah, so it's this single-minded dedicate, like if you, you know, and if you're enlisted, you know that this is the rule, like, you know, and so you don't get Distracted because the rules there to help you focus. Um, what else about so soldier, athlete, farmer? Yeah, and, and um, he uses, uh, I love it, uh, well, let me see if I can flip there real quick. Philippians 3, he uses the same kind of, of race analogy. And, um, you know, brothers, I do not consider, so this is uh, Philippians 3, uh, 13, uh, or I'll start in 12. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, and it's that idea that, yeah, you, you race. Um, and in a normal race, you know, the, you know the, the outcome's uncertain. In this case, you know the prize has been won, and you're called to to race. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, when you cheat and read a mystery novel and you read the end first, and it's like, you know, you know how it turns out. And so, like, you know, you can, when you get to those nervy parts of the book, like, you know, even though you still might feel kind of nervy, it's like, all right, but, you know, I press on, I know, you know, what the outcome's going to be. And it's the same way that knowing what the outcome is, knowing the outcome is secure, it enables you to persevere now. Yeah. <laughs> Endurance. Yeah. 
Um, uh, it is a weird analogy, and again, it's short. So, it, it, you know, there is this, um, you know, which is why I think, uh, you know, it's for that weird analogy, you know, I think verse 7, think over what I say. Um, uh, yeah, so what do we think this means? Like, according to the rules. Uh, I don't know if y'all, um, y'all probably don't follow things like this, but uh, there's been this story about this, um, I think she's from British Columbia, Canada, triathlete who's been on the, in the New York Times because she's been accused of cheating. Um, and, you know, um, yeah. So anyway, th there's an enormous cheating scandal involving this woman who, you know, everybody at, at first was lauding because she was setting records, you know, and like blowing by competition kind of unexpectedly. And they're like, wow. And she does it a couple of times. And then somebody's like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, some things that don't add up uh, with, with some of it. And yeah, so it turns out um, she hasn't admitted to it yet, but like you're supposed to run two laps and somehow she was only running one um, in this uh, triathlon course. Um, and so she's been disqualified, all her prizes, she's been banned from other events um, because she didn't compete according to the rules. So, you know, so as we think of, you know, that kind of illustration, it's, it's um, running the race, but running the race the way it's supposed to be run. Um, and maybe the explanation of, of this part, uh, Tim comes in when he gets into the second half of the chapter. Um, and he's talking about, you know, um, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So, you know, and to sort of think, um, you know, not no need to be ashamed of how we do things, um, to do things the right way. Um, there's a gospel message, but there's also a way to present the gospel. Like, a, you know, there's a right gospel message, but there's also a right way and a wrong way of presenting the gospel message. Like, um, you know, uh, I, can't, I can never remember the church in Kansas that goes and, like, holds up signs about, you know, God hates this people and God hates that people. Like, that, that might be true that God hates these particular sins, but that's not how we're called to tell people that God hates particular sins. Like, the message might be true. In this case, there are aspects of their message I disagree with. Um, but, um, but, you know, how they're, how they're doing it is absolutely wrong. Um, so, you know, we can, you know, think about having a way of doing things um, and then doing things according to the way they're supposed to be done. So as we think of the gospel message, you know, their rules... Um, not just for how, um, you know, what the gospel is, but how we're to behave. Um, and there's this concern throughout these pastoral epistles about the disconnect between what we profess and how we live. Um, and if we profess something but live in this totally contradictory way, um, 
then it's calling into question the gospel message. Like, um, I, again, things I'm teaching, I've been doing a lot on slavery. So if I'm, you know, for a slave master to tell his slave that God loves you while he's beating him um, with a paddle with holes drilled into it to, you know, um, to maximize the pain the paddle brings, I'm not sure that that person truly understands the gospel message. Like they're, what they're saying is not uh, agreeing with their message, how they're delivering the message. So, uh, so I think part of it is, is that. Yeah, there's a lot of concern about getting off track, you know, to uh, in these pastoral epistles about ways we pervert the gospel message by, you know, um, as we saw in First um, Timothy, like adding rules, you know, like you know, saying something is bad that God has made as good, um, with this kind of ascetic rejection of of marriage that some people are promoting. Um, you know, there are ways that, you know, when we start deviating from that central message that we've been given, that, you know, the pattern of sound words, you know, that's where we start getting into trouble, you know. And that's where we start getting into irreverent babble, <laughs> as he calls it, or um, needless speculations, or, you know, we and we can, you know, um, get um, off the path uh, or, or, you know, again, to use the soldier analogy, to like get distracted from what our chief duty is by all these little things along the way, by other pursuits, um, other demands on our time and attention, and we forget, you know, what it is that we've been charged for. Um, we forget what the, our principal job is um, our principal job is is to proclaim Jesus Christ uh, crucified for sinners, raised to new life, so that we might have life in Him. Like, and, and when the farther we get away from from that and start getting into, well, you know, we need this set of rules, or if you want to be truly Christian, you need to do this, or truly spiritual people are like this. And we, you know, start looking at that other aspects and get away from that central message. It's where we get in trouble. <laughs> you love this verse in Athletes in Action.
Yeah, and you're all in, and there are no shortcuts. Um, you know, Stephen and I, uh, on the car on the way here, uh, he had asked, we were talking about the draft, I guess, and sort of talking about, you know, he, he's like, what percentage of people who get drafted won't make the team? Um, and, and, you know, so we are just sort of talking about, well, like, yeah, getting drafted, just because you're drafted doesn't mean <laughs> you're in. Like, that's setting you up. You have the opportunity now to work hard and make the team. And there are lots of guys who weren't drafted who are standing there waiting for their chance. And, you know, those guys, some of those guys are going to work, you know, go to a camp, work hard, and they're going to take a spot from somebody who's drafted who thinks, ah, I'm entitled to it, or, you know, I've made it. I don't have to work hard. Um, but, you know, it's the quality, you know, that athletic quality of being all in, um, not taking shortcuts, you know, but doing the hard mental and physical work, dedicate yourself, you know, again, athletes, you know, the way that um, they regulate, you know, what they eat, what they drink, how they spend their time, um, you know, what kind of sleep they're getting, and you get people who are willing to do that, and then you get people like Johnny Manziel. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> to name one, <laughs> to, to pick on low-hanging fruit. <laughs> um, and and the, these analogies are, are great, just again, um, he wants us to ponder them, and I'm glad we're spending some time doing this, because these guys go into huge explanations. Um, and as uh, Tim pointed out, like the athlete one isn't the way we're typically using athletes here. Um, the farmer one isn't the typical way we usually think of of a farmer. Um, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Like, wait, what? <laughs> um, you know, it, but, you know, as we think about it, it's, it's getting to the, the qualities. Um, and, and, and some of those qualities are, um, you know, faithful endurance, um, knowing the security of this future reward. Um, and, you know, as we get into this, this next part, um, you know, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, um, uh, for which I am suffering, bound with, you know, like, so he's not just suffering out of, you know, just the course of life. He's suffering for the sake of the gospel. Um, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then he gives us this, the, the final of these five trustworthy sayings that have run throughout the pastoral epistles. Um, the saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So in thinking of this emphasis on endurance, this willingness to suffer, you know, the willingness to pursue a task like a soldier, an athlete, or a farmer, um, how, does that, uh, or, or how does that relate to this message of um, this final trustworthy saying? Like, what, what's he trying to get across? And I love that this one, a, a lot of people think that this might have been um, an early snippet of an early hymn or something like that. 
Um, the, and, and most translations will versify it because um, it does have this kind of poetic, lyrical quality to it. Um, uh, so, yeah, what, what's he trying to get across in this trustworthy saying? Yeah, that the idea that we're citizens of a different kingdom um, and that we're sojourners in this one. Um, and so, you know, you know, how we deal with these kind of issues. Like, you know, we could win the battle for bathrooms and lose the war for the gospel. Um, like, you know, sort of like in a military strategy sense, like you can go all in to win a particular battle and in going all in to win that battle, totally blow the war. Um, you know, a good military strategist knows when to fight and when to retreat. Um, or, you know, where the defensible line is. Um, because, you know, if you're keeping in mind what the real victory is, you know, what is the real thing I want to convey to people, it's not, you know, the central message isn't, well, these people should have this bathroom and these people should have that bathroom. The central message is we're sinners, all of us, and we need a savior. And there's one savior, Jesus Christ, and that is who we need. And when we come to him, then we see our sin and we can repent and change the character of our lives. You know, we can do what he's going to say later, flee youthful pa passions, pursue righteousness, faith. But just getting people to flee youthful passions um, apart from the gospel isn't the, the victory. Um, we had a, uh, uh, I, I wish I could claim credit for this, but um, I was simply following my teacher's orders. Um, we had a, when I TA'd for an Old Testament class, we, we always would have a great uh, discussion over whether or not Ten Commandments should be posted in courtrooms. 
Um, and it's like, you know, some people are like, oh, yeah, it's, that's great. And, and then, you know, it's like, well, you know, the Ten Commandments aren't an end in themselves. You know, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is, is because I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Like, the Ten Commandments don't make sense um, without that relational aspect. And just getting people to obey the Ten Commandments and not have the relationship with the God who gave them isn't the victory. <laughs> you know, the victory is to get people to, to know the God who gave the commandments, and if they know that God, then they'll want to follow those commandments. But just kind of, again, ha- you know, we can get distracted from what the central point of the message here is. And as you're saying, Chris, you know, here, the central message is the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. That is the point of our message. If we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. You know, it's putting the emphasis on him and what he's done. If we deny him, he will deny us. Like, so again, this, you know, preparing um, people to be willing to suffer, you know. So you get to that point, you know, are you going to deny the truth of that gospel or are you willing to endure suffering? Uh, and I love how it ends. You know, it could end on that third one. Oh, you know, yeah, if we deny him, he'll deny us. That seems horrible <laughs> and scary. But I, I love the comfort of this last one. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So it's like if you are in Christ, you're united to Christ. And even when you trip up and, and stumble and and you don't respond the way you 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 should, you know, he remains faithful to you and will continue to strengthen you because he can't deny himself. Um, and if you have truly been united to him, you are part of his body um, and that he will remain faithful to you even in the midst of difficulty and suffering. Um. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great question, um, and, and um, uh, I'm not trying to weasel out of it. I'm just looking at the clock. Um, uh, you know, I think, again, it's how we understand that, that faithless, you know, um, it, it could either mean, you know, without faith, so a non-believing person, or it can mean the, the person who, you know, sometimes shows himself uh, untrustworthy, or you know, drops the ball. Um, I, I'm really good at trying to juggle. I'm really bad at successfully juggling. <laughs> like you know, I'm dropping balls all the time. <laughs> um, and and the um, uh, you know, so I think the, it's the qualitative difference between actively denying, um, you know. Uh, denying the truth of the gospel um, versus sometimes not being faithful in, in living it out. Um, so I, I think there's a, a qualitative difference between like actively denying um, um, the faith. I mean, again, uh, for these Christians, they're going to be in a position of, you know, do you believe Jesus Christ or will you sacrifice to the emperor? Um, and people really being put in that literal spot. 
Um, and Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the, you know, both Judas and Peter denied Christ. Um, and one ended up hanging himself, and the other ended up forgiven, um, and even willing to, to die. Like, I mean, if you take the story that, you know, he asked to be hung upside down because he wasn't, will, you know, worthy of dying the same way Christ died. Like, you know, that there's a, a difference produced in those two people. Um, and, you know, because one truly believes and one didn't. Um, you know, one had had a heart made new by the gospel and the other followed for a time, but the, you know, had not been claimed by the gospel and therefore died in despair. Um, so I, I think what the challenge is to, to kind of keep those two ends in mind, you know, are you a Judas or are you a Peter? who even though you know, he denied his, his savior when pressed three times, he's also given the, the opportunity to repent. Um, and I, you know, I love how you know, the conversation uh, goes. Like, you know, you know, he, the, the resurrected Christ and Peter are talking, and you know, he asks him three times, do you love me? <laughs> um, and he gives them an opportunity to sort of like, do you love me? Yes, Master, you know I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. And he asked him that third time, and it kind of hurts. Like, I, I do. <laughs> um, and there's that, that difference that comes from um, the, the work of the gospel in the person. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the power that comes from, from the gospel. Um, you know, it's not, again, working yourself up. But, you know, as he says in verse 1, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Like, there's a power in, in the grace that we've received, the quickening power of the Holy Spirit in us. Um, and so we need to um, actively be reminded that we can't live lives of denial. We have to live lives of faith. We can come back um, because um, I'm going to try to use um, uh, this trustworthy saying as a pivot um, to the second half of the chapter. Um, I did actually plan for this to be two, two weeks on chapter two. <laughs> um, I don't always plan these things, but this time uh, I did kind of plan it because we've got um, uh, five weeks left and three chapters. So, you know, <laughs> not great at math, but I knew we had to do something at some point. Um, so anyway, we'll come back with chapter two, and we'll we'll start again trying to work through um, this. Kind